Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, how to assign work tasks to your directs. Part one. Here we go. One of the great examples of the, I guess, almost utter com- lack of uh, clarity regarding the teaching and management is a lack of a guidance provided about how to assign work. I mean, look at this is something every we day. do every single day. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe as much as 20 times a day. Yep. We're always giving our folks work. But has anyone ever suggested to you, Mark, the right way or a better way to do that? No. And no. 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 And, and here's where I, I started thinking about this. I, I, I've been making a list of all the stuff managers do every day, every week, every month, every quarter that nobody's ever told them about. And, you know, and, uh, and, and the list is it's long. It's a long list. The list is long and distinguished. And then I started comparing it to some of the stuff I read about Super Bowl and about American football. Mm. And, and listen, for many of our international listeners, Mike and I are both huge football fans, and we mean football, football in the true sense, what us Americans would call soccer. So we always say American football. But because the Super Bowl happened, I think recently, by the time this cast comes out, yeah, the level of detail that those guys go through, the training that they go through is incredible. Do you know, spring training will be starting soon, baseball spring training in America. And they say that every shortstop and second baseman does 10,000 double play practices in their spring training. Now, these are the pros. These are the best baseball players in the world, top let's say 1,000 baseball players in the world, and every year before they get paid or before they play for real, they have to practice 10,000 times. And there's a right way. And people say, here's where to put your foot. That foot goes there. You drag this foot across the bag. You turn your body this way. There's psychokinetics involved or uh, kinesthetics involved and so on, all this stuff. And managers, of which there are a lot more, who affect a lot more people's lives than baseball players or football players or American football players, no guidance. I think I heard from you. I think there's a play that was it Green Bay that did it. There's a end run around the right or something like that that they. I can't remember the exact play, but the the announcers it was very successful for them. And I think I was talking to you, and they had practiced that single play thou, thousands upon thousands. Oh, oh, oh. Of yeah, there, there's actually two stories wrong? about that. Green, no, Green Bay does. Green Bay is famous for a play in the mid '60s that Vince Lombardi taught them: student body right, student body yeah, left, the okay. sweep, right? And they would have a block they called the seal block, and so on. And they said they practiced it until they got sick of it. They all were sick of it. But then in the game, they didn't think, and they delivered it beautifully time after time after time. And every one of their opponents knew, here, here it comes, sweep right, sweep left. They knew what was coming. They knew who was supposed to block whom, and they couldn't defend it because the Packers did it better than everybody else. The thing that the thing I think I mentioned to you was in a football game, uh, somebody did a fake, a particular fake play. They did it a certain way, and they practice it every single week, every week, and all the players go, yeah, yeah, we have to practice this fake play. We never use it. We never use it. We never use it. They practice it all year. The Saints did it one time in the season, and it was successful because they all knew exactly what they were doing. Mm. Perfect. Every single week, they have time on the training schedule to practice these things that they know they're going to do maybe once in a season. And here are managers doing 20 tasks assigned a day, and nobody's ever told them how, nobody's ever asked them to practice, and nobody's ever followed up. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, scary. Yeah. So so it, it makes no sense. We do a lot of this, a lot of it. No one's taught us to do it. I'm not aware of any place where that says, here's how you're supposed to do it. Here's my recommendation for how to do it. Now, look, folks, we may be wrong, and, and we admit that sometimes we get so frustrated by some of this stuff 
that we know we're not as clear-minded as we need to be, but we think this boils down to, my guess, if you ask me to guess, why is this lacking, this sense of, oh, we're not going to teach people the right way to do something, or at least a standard that everybody will start from, is that people believe that management, because we don't have strong guidance in a lot of places, somehow management is a personal choice that it comes from our personalities, right? It's individual style. And, and I think there are executives and managers all over who say, I'm not going to ask my people to do that, or I, I can't roll out the Trinity somewhere. I can't do X or Y or Z because I've got to leave it up to my individual managers. I said, well, I feel like saying, what if they're idiots? What if they're really bad? <laughs> would you leave it up to them even though you don't think they're as good as you? Why would you do that? So we want to repeat here for the 11 billionth time that leaving the system of managerial influence in a firm, and it is a system, it's managers behaving to certain standards, leaving that system, the managerial system, to individual choices and personality is the systematically dumbest thing we know of. Managerial influence, the practice of managing other people's outputs, right, is the biggest, most important system in every organization in the world today. We continue, Mike and I continue to be amazed that after companies spending billions of dollars on systematizing purchasing and logistics, materials handling, accounting, safety, costing, vendor relations, expense reporting, site security, strategy formulation, enterprise requirements planning, holy Toledo, a lot on that, information technology adoption, capability maturity models, somebody was just talking to the CMMI the other day, right, and compensation decisions, and that's just a few of them we still have left the biggest lever that we can use to influence the outputs of our firm completely unaddressed, the one about managerial influence, managerial systems, managerial effectiveness. Yeah, someday, someday, somebody ought to actually teach this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someday. Here, here's to someday, yeah. So look, four steps here. And actually, by the way, this is going to be somewhat of a long cast. You think it might be two parts? It yeah. might be, yeah. And I had a fifth point on here. So for everybody who's going to be <laughs> mad at me that it's long, be happy at me that it's not as long as it could be because I actually left off the part about commander's intent, which you, you and I both know really well because I felt like we could be its own cast all by itself, talking about how to get across to your folks, not just what you want to accomplish, but mm. why you want it accomplished and what they might have to deal with along the way if something comes up. And that's what we call commander's intent. So four simple things we want you to do when it comes to assigning tasks to your directs, folks. Number one, you ask, would you please? Followed by do X, right? Would you please do X? For those of you who know the feedback. No, we're, we're, doing, we're doing a cast on assigning work, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is not a, a type, you're asking. Yeah, is this a question? You're no. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. no. Okay. Okay. I just want. I just yeah. want to make sure. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. It, I, I guess you're right. It does seem funny. Yeah. But it's true. It works. Yeah. Okay. Number two, you obviously state the cast, whatever X is that you want the person to do. State the task. Number three, you state the deadline. Right. You tell people when it's due by. And number four, you make sure you include status reporting with the task. We've talked about this before. I think it's a year or two ago. Assign reporting and the task when you assign work. Okay. okay. So let's go back to where I had yeah, my question. Okay. Right? So we're assigning work, yet you're going to ask. You're not going to tell. You're right. going to ask. Yeah. We recommend, rather than just telling your directs what you want them to do or you're directing them to do, you ask them, would you please do X? Rather than saying, I need you to do X, which by the way, we'll come back to I need. Bad phrase, folks. Bad phrase saying I need. I need you to do X. And rather than saying, you need to go talk to so-and-so or you need to do X for me, or I want you to follow up with this person, we recommend 
you assign tasks in the form of a question. Okay. Now look, we know that for many of you, that's Mike's joke. That was your joke, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm just not catching. Joking. <laughs> that's yeah. joking. Yeah. I, was, I was joking. This is so foreign to so many of you, and we respect that. The idea that we would suggest you ask your directs to do something rather than telling them. Asking civilly, right, the use of please, at least in part, is even harder to get some of you to consider, but but we'll come back to that, okay? So so why ask? Why, why ask? Yeah. It'd be easy for a manager to just simply say, yeah. direct, yeah. right? Okay, Man, but, and man, a lot of managers are used to that. Okay, so to be fair, when you say it would be easy, uh, it would be easy for a manager to direct, you're right, but it would be easy for them to direct. The moment you decide you're directing somebody, can we agree, can we just set as a standard that that's a role power move? That you're saying, I can direct you, if you're my boss, if Ozan is Horseman's boss, when you can say to me, I want you to do X or I need you to do X, if you were if you were my peer or if you were my subordinate, you couldn't say that to me, right? right. So that very statement is inherent in your role power. Yeah? Yeah. And okay. I'm, and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm joking a little well, bit. No, no, we'll come back to that. No, no. It's interesting, though. You're comfortable with your role power, right? You know, but but it's interesting. Managers who are most comfortable with their role power don't often have don't to use it, it yeah. right? The managers who are least comfortable with it then feel they need to remind everybody that I've got it. Well, mm. when you say, I need you to do X, you're making a role power move. Imagine you assign 20 tasks in the course of the day, of a day, and 20 times in a row, you're essentially asserting your role power over people. There's been an undertone over the last few years in our cast. Relationships, 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 yeah? yeah. People and communication. Horseman's first law, it's all about people. Second law, more communication is better. You put together that. And Horseman's third unofficial law is if people and communication are important, apparently relationships make a big deal. And and being a great manager starts with creating a great relationship with your directs. That's where one-on-ones come in, yeah? So if you assert role power over and over and over again, I don't believe you can do that 20 times in a day and not have some deleterious effect on your relationship. Yeah. Yeah? I don't know many people who have a boss who don't know their boss has role power over them. Yeah. Right? right? I mean, you don't, they don't need yeah. to be reminded of that all the time. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's the, oh, that's the point you're saying is let's not remind them if we... Well, it, it, yeah. For and, what purpose? And, well, yeah, exactly. Because if you have to remind them, it sends a message. Apparently, it's not as solid as yeah. you need it to be. Yeah. 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 Please, I want you to know I outrank you. Yeah, great. Okay, good. So... The reason for this is easy. Whenever an effective manager has a reasonable choice, and you don't always have a reasonable choice, but if you have a reasonable choice between using your relationship power and your role power, the smart, effective manager always chooses relationship power. In other words, as a manager, we can direct people to do things, but it's not the most effective way to get the most out of our directs. Look, folks, there are times when you should, and we would recommend it, and it saves you a lot of time. Great. Do so. But it, just because it's the shortest and it's the easiest for you, doesn't mean it's the most effective. Another case where people get confused between efficiency, and there are a lot of high D, high C managers who just think efficiency is what matters. Let me just be brief with you on this. And they forget that really what they want is effectiveness, which is the best possible outcome from all the work that right. they're asking the people to do. And we've alluded to this, but let's do this again. We've said it before, but many people are joining us now as the, as the audience continues to grow. Folks, there are three types of power in an organization, or you could also call it influence in an organization. Role power, the first kind, is what you have granted to you by the company. You get to, by because of your role, and it's in your outranking of other people, you can direct others to do things because you outrank them. But interestingly though, think about this, put this in the back of your mind, folks, and we'll come back to it over the years. You really can't compel folks whom you outrank to do things. You can't compel them 
you know, maybe the police can or a king could, right? But you really can't compel them. They're free not to do what you tell them to do. It's not compulsion that is the energy behind role power. It's consequences, right? It's, hey, if you don't do this, the hidden threat is if you don't do this, I have power to make you miserable. You can't make folks do stuff just because you outrank them, but they will do it if they believe that not doing so will bring with it consequences they don't want, okay? That's the first kind of power is role power. The second kind is expertise power. That's the ability to influence other people because they trust your knowledge or your experience in a particular field. And finally, relationship power is that which you are granted by other people because they trust you as a person, usually through direct contact with them and communication over a period of time. And by the way, folks, I'm not going to make a big deal about it now, but there's very little you can do in the short term about role power. Yeah. Your organization gives that to you. Yeah, you can't. You can't you unless can't you get promoted it. or lose it. You, yeah, you that's have very little easy good. thing yeah, yeah. every time. It's not going to happen yeah. quickly. Right? Expertise power can take years to develop, so you're not going to change not that over quickly. Yeah. But relationships... You can make a difference in weeks. In weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Even 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 days in some cases. And and role power and expertise power, not months, maybe not even years. Yeah? Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly right. So look, generally, role power, folks, is inversely proportional to how often you have to use it. Those people with a great deal of role power use that full power, the power of their role, very rarely. Those at lower levels often mistakenly assume that that's the only way to get stuff done, right? They mm-hmm. think, I'm a new manager. I've, that's what I've been promoted for is they, they promoted me to give me that power. Why wouldn't they want me to use it? And so they start using it all the time by directing people. Effective executives know that using one's role power, though, is often seen as throwing your weight around, right? The very statement implies that that's the only way to accomplish what you want to accomplish by using your role power. So other people, when they see you throwing your weight around, they don't see you as an expert. They don't see you as somebody who's knowledgeable. And they don't see you as someone who they trust, um, someone who they see, they think of as having a good relationship with you. They see you as having power, just plain old role power. So you have relationship power, role power, and expertise power. And as, as the saying goes, the greatest of these is love, or sorry, that's from the Bible, but um, the greatest of these is relationship power. Whenever possible, effective managers, and, and we know that you, in your firm right now, there may not be a lot of managers who engage in this, and senior people in your company, folks, if you're a young person in a company that doesn't have a lot of managerial training and you look up and you're, you're a little bit despairing of the people at the top of your company, You may not have a whole lot of people that use relationship power in your firm. You probably have some. You may not see it. But don't assume that because people at the top and people at the middle and the people at the bottom of your firm use a lot of role power, that that's how all managers manage. That's just not so. Whenever possible, effective managers use relationship power rather than role power to encourage one of their directs to take action. Again, why? Because if you use role power all the time, as we've talked Mm -hmm. about before, right, it loses its effectiveness. Directs who feel they're complying with you because you've given them an order, if you will, produce much less than those who are trusted by their boss and are expected to bring their best work to the table rather than just doing what the boss says. So I know that was very long. That's the background behind it. But it boils down to this. We ask people to do things because that relies on our relationship rather than on our role power. Asking makes this a conversation rather than a demand. And it sends a message that we don't want 
just compliance, but we're expecting an agreement to be reached rather than an order to be acted upon. Yeah. The great thing is it also requires the direct to give a yes or no mm-hmm. answer, right? And when right. they say yes, they're, they're much more committed yeah. to the outcome, right? Yeah. And you're going to get better results as yeah. a result. And, and sometimes they'll say no, which if you direct them and you get in the habit of directing them and they never ever say no to you, they're probably not going to do what you want them to do, but you won't know that they're not doing it because you didn't ask them yeah, first yeah, to have yeah. some conversation yeah. about what might be standing in the way. Yeah, look, now, we know, in fact, I can think of one person in particular who will remain nameless, that many of you have been questing the logic of this guidance, right? And you're ready to explode now. And you're thinking to yourself, why do I have to ask, right? Why would I want to ask? You're probably thinking, I'm the boss, you're thinking. And that's the whole point of me assigning work. I get to not have to ask. I can just demand. That's part of the benefit of role power. I'm not their peer. I'm not asking for a favor. I don't have to ask. Well, folks, we're not asking you to ask for a favor, by the way. And the answer to that is you're right. You can demand. But hopefully you can understand why asking is more powerful. Mike, we've talked about this before. I generally sense that when people make comments like these, I, I think I can ask or, I'm, or I, I can direct. And so why would I want to ask? I really don't want to have a discussion with them. I just want them to do what I tell them to do, right? It boils down to why would I want to ask? Because that implies to me, to them, that their answer to me matters. And I intend for them to do it regardless. <laughs> well, clearly, I don't care yeah. what they think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I intend for them to do it regardless. Let, let's not mince words about this whole thing. Let's just have them accept the task. And again, this just boils down to relationship and role power. And, and folks, there are some of you who are never going to convince about that. And it's only going to get worse when you hear our underlying premise. Listen to this, folks. We may have said this before in a cast. I may have said it recently. I've been saying a lot to a lot of clients. When we as effective managers ask, we mean to ask, and we do not intend to force the direct or require them to comply to do what we want them to do if they really want to say no. Okay? And we mean that. And and here's a, a statement I've been saying lately. Effective managers never ask a question of their directs, the answer to which they do not intend to honor. So in other words, don't ask a direct to do something. Don't follow our guidance about asking them to do it if you're going to give it to them regardless of whether they say yes or no. Don't say to yourself, Mark and Mike are asking me to ask because it's nice and it's civil. Okay, good. But the fact is, this person's sitting there. They work for me. I need this done right now. I'm going to ask them. If they say no, I'm going to say, well, sorry, you know, nice chatting with you now. Do it, right? And I know many of you are thinking, God, this just makes it worse. You know, we're not, you're probably thinking, we're not just asking to be nice. They, they actually get to say no, right? We're actually supposed to be asking because we intend to honor their response, even if they say no. And the answer is, yeah. Because if they say yes, that yes will mean a lot more than them nodding their head because they're complying with your demand that you do something. And the no will give you information that will help you decide whether or not the no really matters or whether or not uh, you need to give it to somebody else or whether or not waiting two hours is really that big a deal. Yeah. You said earlier that you thought some managers don't like the, the idea of asking because it implies that their, their, their direct answer matters, right? <laughs> I mean, and it really does, and we just want them to do it. I think that's part of it. But I think for a large number of people, it's also... They want to direct versus ask 
Because directing is just easier. Easier. It's less effective, but it's easier. And it's one of those, you know, the cadet prayer. Choose the, the harder Hard right, right rather, the, the, rather than the wrong. wrong. And never. yeah, if you ask, you have to get better at assigning work. You have to be a better manager. Yeah. Right? And it's better. It's harder and it's better. It's yeah. more effective. Good point. Yeah. And look, folks, I'll, we'll give you an easy out right now. If you're not comfortable enough with your relationship, with the, with the relationship you have with somebody, and so therefore your relationship power with them, so you're not sure they'll say yes, and so therefore you don't want to ask because you don't want them to say no, and then you roll over them, steamroll them, then go ahead. Don't ask. Just tell. Okay? Just do it. It's ineffective. It's a lot less effective than asking. You'll discover if you're polite to people and if you ask and you're willing to listen to their answers and be a little bit flexible, it costs an extra 10 seconds, which as we all know, no one seems to have time for 10 second interactions anymore. But for the 10 seconds you're not willing to spend, if you really want to be efficient, okay, fine. I will say what I've said a few times before over the years. I want to have a team just like yours right next to yours so I can bury you in about six months. <laughs> I don't care how much you know about your job. I don't care how much smarter you are about the technical stuff. My people will eat out of my hands and your people will ask to come work for me and my people will outperform yours. And I'll get promoted before you because I'm willing to ask because I'm so confident in my role power. I know that if I have to use it, I can use it. And I also know that my people will do better work faster and be more willing to talk to me more openly, which is what I want anyway with them as a starting point, um, that I'll outperform you. My team will outperform yours. Now, if you want to be more effective, to go to your point, if it's easy, it's easier, right? It's easier for them to do it that way. But if you want to go the harder route, the more effective route, and it's not like it's gargantuan no, harder, no, no. right? It's 20% harder, but it pays 100% dividends. If you want to be more effective, start working on your relationships with your directs. And then when you feel like you're getting there, start asking rather than demanding. There's something else here too. There's also some subtle value in asking. And it, you alluded to this, having the direct say yes out loud to you. Verbal commitments are powerful indicators of their likely follow through and compliance. If your direct doesn't even acknowledge their role, right? They don't even have to even hardly nod their head when you're giving them a demand, right? because they don't have to, because you're going ahead and demanding anyway, you miss the opportunity to get from them and have them know you heard from them their verbal commitment to do what you're asking. And verbal commitments in front of your boss are highly likely to create activity afterwards, right? Yeah, Saying to your boss, I will do it, creates a whole different likelihood of somebody doing something than someone listening to you and go, okay, I understand what you want me to do, but it's still what you want me to do. It's not yet what I've agreed to do. I just know that I have to do it. And so I'm going to slink through my day. I'm going to do it with the minimal amount of effort. I'm going to fit it into everything else I've already got. I'm going to probably miss the deadline because I didn't commit to you that I'd make your deadline. You just told me what the deadline is. And over time, that manager is going to be very frustrated with why can't my good people perform at a top level? And in part, it's because you're not willing to move toward a relationship relationship as opposed to a role power relationship. Now, look, let's go back, though, further. Is there value in asking even if the direct says no? And the answer is yes, there is. If you take the approach that they're going to have to do what you tell them to do, then you're not going to take no for an answer. Okay, but what if they're swamped, right? And they know you don't brook any disagreement, so they don't tell you the impact your assignment's going to have on them, right? Maybe the impact will be that you want them, what you want them to do will be done poorly. 
Maybe they know they can't do it, and they're going to accept their assignment because you don't accept no for an answer, knowing full well they can't meet the deadline, and they're frankly, at this point, just willing to get you out of their face, and they're willing to accept any consequences, probably because the consequences of failing on what you're asking them to do right now, whatever task you're assigning them, are less than the consequences of failing on the other stuff they have to do. They're just going to do failure calculus and say, Mm -hmm. which one's got the weakest consequences? Oh, this one, so that's the one I won't do. And, you know, he didn't really ask me, so I guess I have to do it. But that doesn't mean I have to do everything well because I already have too much to do anyway. Yeah, so so, so many managers don't follow up anyways. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. calculation. Yeah, what's the chance of him actually asking whether yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know Wendy is probably laughing when she hears that because I asked her to do something and I don't follow up. Wouldn't it be better to increase the chances that you learn how this assignment is going to be accepted and completed... And the only way you can do that is by asking and encouraging some sort of dialogue back and forth. Do we have any doubts that if we ask, which sets up a totally different dynamic, we're going to get a better sense of any potential problems that might be coming up? And look, frankly, isn't it likely that because you're the boss, they're going to say yes anyway? Now, I will tell you that the really great directs with the really great bosses, they say no more frequently than anybody, and yet the bosses and the directs mm. don't mind it at all, and they work around it, okay? But yeah, the majority of your directs are going to say yes anyway. And if they are, let's say they're going to say yes 70% of the time. I think that's frankly low, but let's be yeah. conservative, yeah? Isn't there something to be gained by asking and allowing them to respond with something other than blind acceptance if you think they might be will- if they think you might be willing to listen? Right? If you don't think they're allowed to say no, by all means, again, folks, just go ahead and tell them what to do. Just remember that all communication is persuasion. And if you want to sell, ask, don't tell. Let's go further. Let's remember two other weaknesses of the telling versus asking camp. First, a classic way managers who assign work stuff, what they say is, I need. We talked about that. I alluded to this earlier, right? It's probably just me being picky, but words have power. Be very careful of using the word need for anything other than something that must be done, no matter what, come hell or high water, even over somebody's dead body, because the word need implies necessity, essentiality. Something that needs to be done cannot not be done. Need is a really powerful word. It's an overused word. It suggests how important something is, right? And then suddenly, you know, the managers who use it, suddenly they need everything done, right? Right. I I need this done, I need this done, I need this done, right? And if you say you really need something done, and then the direct later realizes that your task, this task you're assigning is small enough, that in the big scheme of things, you really don't need it done, they're going to say, well, I can discount a lot of other things he says yeah. because he makes small things seem like the biggest thing in the world. They overstate things in order to get people in the spur of the moment to go, okay, tell me what you need. Second, managers who tell, who, who give direction rather than asking, often say, I need you to do something for me. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. Look, in our delegation guidance, we shared that including that for me bit makes what you're asking for seem like a favor. And a personal favor at that, right? When you say for me, you're telling the direct, this is your work and not theirs, but they're going to have to do it. Now look, maybe it is your responsibility, but hopefully folks, we've learned by now that professionals don't think that responsibilities are inherently individually based. If work must get done and the person responsible isn't around, We don't not do it and feel good 
about it not getting done because the owner isn't available. Oh, my, Mike was responsible for that, so I'm good to go. No problem. I'm, I'm clean. I'm good. Yeah, right? he's my manager. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. works well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your, boss, my manager. your boss appreciates, appreciates yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his fault, right? In my opinion, using for me, in other words, will you do this, or, or I need you to do this for me, is the worst way to assign something, folks. You're not going to ask. You're going to tell. And then you're going to rely, and then that relies on your role power, right? And then you're going to suggest that, in fact, it really is personal, hinting that it is a relationship move, even though you're admitting by demanding something that you don't have a good enough relationship to justify that. You're going to demand something and then say, I'm going to demand it for me, as if my boss power is important, but you should still love me anyway. It's just, I got to tell you, directs don't like it. I need you to do something for me. Oh, man. You're going to demand, but you're going to demand out of friendship. Friends don't demand things of friends. Yeah, a little duplicitous, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay, one more thing. The the civility of saying please. Maybe we're old-fashioned here at at Manager Tools, but manners are the grease of society. As it was said, without civilization, life would be nasty, brutish, and short. Okay? Let's try to be professional when we're managing. Being a professional includes being kind and not turning everything into a calculation of value without considering the human element, okay? If you want to be more effective, ask your directs to accept a task and ask nicely. Would you please do X is the way we recommend you do so. You'll get better results and, believe it or not, you'll strengthen or at least you won't weaken your relationship. And there are only really two things that matter when it comes to being a boss. That's results for the company and retention of your people. And retention starts with relationships. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll continue this conversation next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.